we all have brothers and sisters and moms and dads and we have there's different aspects of those relationships and i think the thing that's hit me the hardest is as a father mm-hmm. you know i'm here to protect my little girl you know i'm here to protect my family um and to deal with something where it is so difficult to provide that protection um or to be told that hey you can't protect your child um it's absolutely devastating welcome to the cafe medium podcast Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Cafe Medium Podcast. I'm the host, Lathan Gorbett, and in this episode, with the help of Carly Petrovic, we'll be exploring a world that most of us have likely never even heard of before. A world where parents, children, scientists, artists, activists, and alike are coming together as a small but committed community to try and bring awareness to a cause and hopefully solution to a problem that is so rare that it gets very little attention, yet is so devastating that people have committed their entire lives to it. We're going to be exploring the world of Batten disease. Through a series of interviews and conversations over the course of a couple weeks, Carly and I have collaborated with some of the people at the helm of creating a national voice for Batten disease. We've decided to use this platform to shine some public light on this fatal disease while promoting an event called Everything Matters that is coming up on June 3rd at Amory Studios located at 1826 Northwest 18th Avenue here in Portland, Oregon. You can find tickets to this event at aquanutsphotography.com. Please be patient with some of the audio quality, as this was a joint effort of a few amateur podcasters gathering recorded conversations in a short window of time prior to this event, but I'm confident that you will find um, some greater understanding and compassion for what these dedicated folks are going through. So without further delay, I will start this podcast out with some of the conversation that we had with Bo and Suzette James, the parents of Maya James, who was diagnosed in May of 2014 uh, with a disease called atypical TPP1, which is a subset of CLN2, a form of Batten disease. You can find more information about Maya and the James at fightingformaya.com, where Maya is spelled M-A-Y-A. Up until about the time Maya was nine, you know, she was just kind of developing and growing like any other child, Um, you know, hitting her milestones, loved to jump rope, loved to go swimming, loved to go running. Um, And, you know, earlier when Maya was around three, she had a little bit of a stutter, you know, but we kind of worked through that with with uh, speech therapy and then she outgrew that Um, and then around first or second grade. Uh, she had some fine motor issues, and she went to OT. And, you know, really didn't think much of that as well. Um, and then, you know, around the time she was eight and a half, kind of nine, um, we noticed she was just a little bit off balance as she would walk. Um, you know, when I would walk Maya and her younger brother to class, and, you know, would hold both their hands. You know, you notice Maya was kind of tugging. And it was just, you know, a, a definite contrast to her brother, you know, and just holding her hands, you wouldn't really think anything of it. Um, about that time, we took Maya in to see a neurologist. Um, and that first exam with the very first neurologist, he just did some real basic tests in the office. And you could really tell um, that Maya was struggling to maintain her balance. Um, 
and that was 2013, 2013-ish, uh, when we had that first, that first visit with the first neurologist. All, all the way through, you know, those initial conversations, the first appointments, you know, we really didn't think it was going to be anything, you know, amazingly serious. Um, you know, we just, we just thought it was just something developmental. You know, we really didn't have a good sense of, of what it was or how serious it would get. Um, but with that first visit, um, you know, that first office visit was pretty serious. Um, and then I remember, you know, Suzette and I were, um, we had a first phone call, follow-up phone call with the neurologist. And we had friends over and, you know, just for privacy, we hopped in the car and drove around the corner had the call with the neurologist and he kind of, he gave us a lot of just the direct feedback and it, it got pretty serious pretty quickly. Um, and that really kind of started the race of figuring out the diagnosis, um, figuring out what exactly was going on. Um, and that took a good eight months to a year to get the point to the point of an actual diagnosis of what, so we knew it, so we could figure out what we were dealing with. And it really wasn't until we did the um, exome sequencing towards the end, um, that we were able to get kind of a definitive diagnosis. Um, and, you know, that that march towards diagnosis is, is one of the most difficult um, because there's really nothing, there's really nothing you can do. Um, you're, you're, you're kind of guessing and, and second guessing and, and, and just waiting for that phone call um, when someone can actually tell you what it is you're dealing with. Right, right. And I can imagine that on top of being both scary and hard for you to put that kind of weight on a nine-year-old is, you know, exceptional. So I can only imagine that she, um, she had to deal with a lot. She had to grow up pretty fast. And just so you know, that's Carly. We tried to make it a, a game, if you will, you know, Hey, another doctor's appointment or, Hey, we're going to play that game again, or Hey, we're going to show up in the doctor's office and guess what? They're going to ask you your birthday again. That's the number one question you're going to get. Um, just try to keep it as light as possible, just so that you know she could stay positive, positive throughout, um, and and really not have to absorb the stress. But you know, of course, she saw us, and I'm sure she picked up on our stress levels. But we really did our best to make sure that it wasn't, it had the least amount of impact on her as possible. Uh, we made a conscious effort not to tell her uh, what we were reading as the prognosis, even though we didn't fully know. Um, but uh, we wanted to um, preserve her childhood as best as we could, given the situation that we were given. Yeah, absolutely. And she and she still doesn't really know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can I mean, see. It makes no sense, really, to me. I mean, and we had a lot of um, even some physicians who said you need to tell her, and we said no, <laughs> um, because she can't do anything about it. Um, and honestly, now we have a very different path uh, that we're following, that we're hopeful. Uh, she's in treatment right now, um, and she's doing really, you know, pretty well with it. So uh, it makes no sense to me to do that to her. So now that you got to hear a bit from Bo and Suzette, who have obviously been through a great deal with their own daughter's diagnosis and treatment, and who are a wealth of knowledge about the disease, I wanted to introduce Margie Frazier, the executive director of BDSRA, the Batten Disease Support and Research Association, to give a more in-depth explanation of what exactly Batten disease is. 
BDSRA is an association dedicated to funding research for treatments and cures, providing family support services, advancing education, raising awareness, and advocating for legislative action. You can find out more uh, information about them at, and about Margie at BDSRA.org. So, Margie, you mentioned CLN2. Um, we've talked a little bit about Batten in general. And from my understanding, Batten is kind of an umbrella for a lot of diseases. Can you give a, kind of a little bit of an explanation about how the breakdown kind of works and, and how um, these diseases kind of vary? Yes. Um, we, have, we have 14 different forms of the neuronal ceroid lipofusinosis. And that is a longer name for Batten disease. So um, each of these are numbered genes, CLN1 through CLN14. Um, some of them we see more in the US than others, and some we see more in other countries. Um, in the US, we see a lot of CLN1 and 2 and 3. In South America, in Brazil, for example, we might see more of six, seven, and eight. And it all has to do with how immigration has happened throughout the centuries. And um, so um, CLN2, for example, is a disease, uh, the classic late infantile form. Children typically start to have seizures, unprovoked seizures, at about age three. And then without treatment, uh, or sadly gone from us anywhere from age 10 to age 12. Maya has a very uh, interesting form called SCAR7, and I won't go into details about what the SCAR stands for, but she has an, she has an enzyme deficiency just like the other kids, only her genetic makeup has a more delayed um, onset, and she tends to have more enzyme in not enough to function well, but has a little bit more enzyme than others. Uh, and what we're finding because of the James family and their outreach, we're finding a lot more kids like Maya out there. And um, they will benefit from the, the, the Brunura drug as well. Um, CLN3 is another common form that we see in the US, perhaps the most common these kids tend to have a, an onset first with blindness. They are screened sometimes in school and we'll hear, we act, it's, it's not uncommon for us to begin to hear about more of these kids being diagnosed at the end of the school year when we think vision screens might be happening in school and teachers and others are starting to figure out, wait a minute, you know, we're not, this child is not seeing well enough, and oh my gosh, they're really not seeing well. And so they get referrals to ophthalmologists who may, uh, with the right training, are screening it there and sending children on for genetic testing. Um, those kids tend to live much longer and oftentimes live into their early teens and mid-20s oftentimes. Um, but many of the problems in the disease are the same. All of our kids at some point will lose their vision um, all of them have seizures. All of them have dementia. Uh, Batten disease is the most common form of childhood dementia. 
And so their brains are shrinking. They are losing cognitive ability. And uh, with that, oftentimes are, have ataxia or, you know, a, um, uh, problems with gait or other muscle movements. And so we're working as hard as we can with other partners to bring forward um, treatments. And so um, that's just a little bit of a slice of, of how, how different genes with different mutations can turn out, can show up differently. Yeah, and it, it seems like such a wide range, too, uh, just from the, the very quick uh, rundown that you've given us. So I can imagine that um, it would be hard for families, you know, to see this one family has something totally different than mine and, and kind of trying to build around that. Yes, yes. And, um, and having said that, um, I am surprised. I'm, I'm just astonished. I'm not surprised. I'm astonished every single day at the kindness and the uh, outreach each of these families has in very, what I consider very difficult days. And, you know, Mother's Day was just yesterday. And for so, many of our families, Mother's Day is not, it, it's, it is a happy occasion because they're, they're remembering their kids. Um, and, but it's also a tough day. It's both and, um, it's a time for reflection, but for many of our moms, it's very tough because they've lost kids or they have a child whose future is without treatment, um, uh, are, are limited. We don't know how, for how long, but they know it. And so it's another reason for the, the need for connection. Absolutely. And you mentioned, Brenura, the, the new drug and um, mm -hmm. that Maya has been receiving kind of treatments back when it was experimental as well. Um, oh. But who can this drug help? Um, how is it helping? Can you tell us a little bit about it overall? Absolutely. Um, this formulation is for children with the CLN2 form of Batten disease. It won't help any other kind because it is formulated for this gene only, though we're hoping that one other form that is, is an enzyme, um, uh, an enzyme deficiency, we may be able to develop one for that form as well. But for now, it's for CLN2. Um, what happens in, in our brains, Carly, is that you and I both have proteins that build up in our brains, junk proteins, and we have lysosomes that have an enzyme called TPP1, and those enzymes clear out the junk proteins really well. Um, the Mayas of this world and the Lanes and the Noahs, they don't have the enzyme. And so what happens with uh, Branura is the kids have a port installed in their heads and every two weeks the port is accessed with a needle and an infusion of this TPP1 is infused into their brain over a four-hour period. Um, most kids are reading on their iPads. They don't have to go to sleep. It's not painful. They just sit and watch a movie or hang out or whatever. Um, 
And then they go home and two weeks later, they come back for another infusion. Um, I'm delighted about the drug, but I don't want anybody to think it's, it's, this isn't arduous. It's arduous. <laughs> you know, you have to go check into a hospital and you have to be infused and, and you have to bring family with you and, and all of that. And so, um, we're, we're hopeful that we can continue this stepping stone of discovery into, um, into treatments that, uh, that are easier, for example. Wouldn't it be great if every morning you could take your enzyme pill and go to school? Um, that's that would be that would be a beautiful thing to happen. And for a more layperson explanation of what is happening to people with Batten disease, Bo gives us a helpful little metaphor that certainly helped me wrap my head around it a little more. So if you imagine that uh, the cells in your body are like a small city. Um, where like the nucleus is downtown and the mitochondria are the power plants in that city. The lysosomes are your sanitation department or your recycling center. Um, and what those lysosomes do is as there's waste product generated by the city or garbage generated by the city, it recycles the garbage. If you have a deficiency or a problem with your lysosome, as in the case of CLN2, the garbage is not picked up all the time and it builds up over time. Um, and so in Maya's case, um, you know, where someone might have the garbage picked up every week and taken to the recycling center, her garbage is picked up every two weeks or every three weeks. And, it, and over a period of time, the sanitation department falls behind and that city, or in this case, the cell gets sick um, and eventually dies. And so that's kind of the metaphor that really kind of helps people understand what Maya is dealing with, um, with the, with the deficiency. All right. So we're going to switch gears here for a bit. And now I want to introduce you to Scott and Ivana, the founders of Aquanuts Photography, who are at the cornerstone of putting together the event, Everything Matters, that we discussed earlier. We sat down at Townsend's Tea on North Mississippi Avenue to discuss what motivated them to put this event together and some of the serendipitous occurrences that have taken place and are taking place in the process. My best friend from college, Bo, has a family with his wife, Suzette, and the four beautiful children, and their oldest child, Maya, was diagnosed with Batten's disease. And specifically, she has a variant of Batten disease that there are only 23 known cases in the entire world for. So not only is this a rare disease, it's even rare among rare diseases. And as you can imagine, for something like that, it's really hard to know where to turn, how to get support, how to bring awareness, um, how to get help, and in their case, how to save your daughter. And... Uh, Bo and Suzette are the most unbelievable advocates, not only for their daughter, but for all families dealing with this that we can possibly imagine. In fact, one of their primary concerns very early on in this was help for all Batten families. It's not just about Maya. And we've been very inspired by what they've done, and we also really feel compelled um, to do whatever we can to help out because it's incredible how much they do and how far their voices carry and for how many people. But we felt like we can pitch into that and that became the, uh, the reason for the fundraiser. Thank you first of all so much for this opportunity to talk about um, Batten disease, Batten families. 
Aquanuts photography and everything matters. This is the tagline that we've used to talk about the event. And it actually comes, the tagline itself comes from the community, it comes from Batten families and this organization, a national organization that supports them. They're called BDSRA, Batten Su Disease Support and Research Association. Mm -hmm. And they use this tagline because what they find that in their work with families and children dealing with this rare and brutal neurological condition, um, every little bit of help, support, love, kindness absolutely makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, means funds and, um, and money and dollars, but it also means any small act of generosity that can really um, make a difference in, uh, within a particular hour, uh, within a particular day, and ultimately um, really impact uh, how the kids are, are doing and potentially even help us, you know, help lead us to a, a place where we have a cure, where we have some, um, you know, specific way of, of addressing and, and battling this disease. So we've been using this tagline to um, organize and structure the event that will take place in Portland on June 3rd. We're also referring to it as an evening of art and science. We see that in the space where art and science coalesce and play together and interact, this is the space where miracles happen. This is a space where researchers come across um, ideas and, and the potential to discover new ways of, of treating um, diseases like that. And so serendipitously, so many people have decided to come together really responding to this call that has been emanating primarily from the James family. Um, the Being Bo and Bo Suzette. Bo and Suzette. Yeah. And the kid who uh, Scott mentioned, Maya, uh, this girl absolutely has this, she has this way of instantly connecting with people. And uh, she does that um, Directly, you know, when she when she interacts with you and when she's present on social media, both um, you know herself or through others through the fighting for Maya cause, but she there's something about uh, her her being, her energy that really sounds like it sounds it's it's a call to action, and what I'm finding is that a lot of people who got to know uh, know Maya through fighting for Maya, Bo and Suzette's initiative. Yeah. Um, they are responding to that call and literally asking how how can we help so the event itself has been um, organized with help of many many different individuals and uh, we are spending the evening that evening of art and science thinking and talking about the six senses so we um, are finding that when the kids, and this is actually, this is really difficult to talk about. So it's, you know, and I, I hope that that's... Uh, <laughs> no, and for people who can't yeah. see this because it's only audio, um, she's having a hard time talking right now because obviously this is impacting somebody that she cares about. Um, for people like myself, not to intrude, but I've never heard of this disease until Carly asked me to come work on it with her. And the first conversation I had with Bo... I was holding on to my daughter for half the conversation as he was talking about his own daughter and it was just I couldn't imagine going through something like that it's so no please feel free like this is I, I, I want to 
I want our audience to feel what you're feeling a little bit and to understand how. Thank you for saying that. That this absolutely, you know, touches a very, very personal chord. Uh, not only do we know Maya and Bo and Suzette personally, but um, we have a 13-year-old son. And so this whole idea of, you know, what, <laughs> uh, like you're describing, of you know, having a child right in your presence as you're thinking about somebody else's uh, struggle and somebody else's visceral experience of um, um, living with Batten it really immediately strikes a, a very, very powerful chord. Mm. I think um, I started to I- express this, um, these feelings when we started talking about the six senses. So uh, I find that um, those of us who are uh, healthy or lucky to be healthy, we start to take those sex senses, the basic senses for granted, sight, hearing, touch, taste. We live with those every day and absolutely disregard the miracle of all of them. Uh, The sixth sense that I also um, really always consider as one of the basic ones is intuition or wisdom. And uh, that's the one that also is is taken for granted um, in our day-to-day existence until it's compromised. Kids dealing with Batten experience loss of the six senses. We'd like to um, spend the evening reminding the audience of the, um, the miracle of the, of the senses and uh, spending some time exploring each and every one of them. So we've structured and designed the event around, um, around each of the senses and essentially um, wanting to celebrate them. Earlier I mentioned the serendipitous events that have occurred in the process of putting this event together. This is where we introduce Christina Amory of Amory Studios, where the Everything Matters event is happening on June 3rd. You can learn more about the studio and about Christina by visiting amorystudios.com. That's A-M-R-I studio.com. This is also where I ask you to really bear with us on the audio quality. And please enjoy the story of how Itzhak Perlman's violin changed lives one evening here in Portland, Oregon. Christina Omri crystallizes acts of light. An artist since childhood, her monument-style glass and crystal works illuminate the Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, the Miami Project to Cure Paralysis, and many other hospitals, museums, and institutions across the U.S. Christina believes every caring, generous act is an act of life that deserves recognition. When wealthy donors give money to cure childhood cancers or research rare diseases like Batten disease, Christina ensures these acts are celebrated. They matter because everything matters. They matter because we are all connected. Christina likes to reference the Indian parable Indra's web. In it, a web reaches infinitely in all directions, connected by jewels, each one reflecting all the others. It is this vast cosmic mandala that encompasses the universe, binding everything together as one. When one suffers, we all do. Everything matters. For us, the birth of this particular fundraising event started at an Itzhak Perlman concert back in the fall at the Arlene Schnitzer Amphitheater. We somehow wound up with front row seats. We didn't try to get seats right when they went on sale. Somehow uh, those were available, so we uh, snapped them up because it just seemed like such a unique opportunity. 
And at one point, we ran into a little bit of an existential conflict because Lauren Hill, it turned out, was performing the same night in Portland. And so we had a little bit of a debate, but ultimately both settled on this unique opportunity to see Itzhak Perlman. I heard Itzhak Perlman's going to be playing right here in Perlman, in Portland. I'm like, oh my God, I've never heard him live. This, of course, is Christina Omri. I don't have anyone to go with. It's in a couple of nights. I'll take myself out. I I should go to this. I feel I should. I'm really being drawn to go to this concert. So I looked. There were only a few seats left in the whole theater. And the best seats were front row right underneath the edge of the stage. And they were really expensive. And I thought, you know what? I don't do this very often, and this is Itzhak Perlman. I'm just going to go for it. So I got myself a very expensive seat. So I, I grew up listening to my parents, listening to Itzhak Perlman. And uh, it was, I grew up in Croatia, and uh, in, just really clearly remember what a big deal uh, Itzhak Perlman's name was you know, to is my parents. Is he Croatian? Yeah, he, he's, he's not Croatian, but um, um, my parents are, um, were both big fans of classical music, and this is what they use and what we used you know, during the, some of the really difficult years in Croatia to s- keep, uh, keep normalcy in the household. So listening to music during the Civil War in the 90s was really something that, that kept, us, kept us going and kept us positive and kept us optimistic and hopeful. It was just him and his pianist was so intimate. I was within this close. I could see his eyelashes. And I've admired him my whole life. And violin music is deep in my soul. My father was a concert violinist, and my mother's father was the head head, um, of the Riga Symphony Orchestra in Latvia, and he was the first violinist there, too. So I went and I sat there, and he's playing passionately these exquisite pieces of music. It was just vibrating all through me. And, and at a certain moment, one of the hairs in his horsehair bow split and broke and was dangling there while he's playing on his violin. And the minute it split, waited for another moment and between notes he yanked those broken pieces off and threw them on the ground. And when he threw them on the ground just a few feet away from me, I was like, oh, look at that. It's right there sitting on the ground inside Perlman's bowstring. And at the same moment, one seat away, there was an empty seat next to me and then there was this beautiful young woman, Ivana, sitting next to her fiance, Scott, and she also looked on the stage and then she looked at me and we looked at each other and we looked at the bowstring on the stage. So we're at the concert, which was sublime. Uh, what an experience. During the first half of the show, at one point, as Perlman is playing his bowstring and summoning notes from his instrument, one of the horse hairs that makes up the, the bow uh, broke. And one of the virtues of being in the front row is that you could actually see this, this thin hair breaking from the, the bow. And 
he just kept right on. Uh, but when there was an opportunity, he peeled the, the two pieces of that string off and just dropped them to the, the floor. So I kind of want to hand this over to Ivana to explain what happened at the intermission that actually first brought us into contact with Christina. When I saw Itzhak Perlman's string drop to the floor in front of us, um, I basically got goosebumps and felt that you know somehow it was really important to claim that that there was going to be you know some magical <laughs> token of, of uh, you know some some fairy dust I guess <laughs> dread trapped in that horse uh, horse uh, hair that um, I just had to have for some reason and I felt that to the left of me this uh, person whom I didn't know the complete stranger also had the exact same thought at the same time and it was really it was a very uncanny experience of what it felt like to know that somebody else whom you don't know at all had the exact same thought you know, simultaneously so she and I looked at each other and essentially together decided we were gonna we were gonna obtain it and um, we did I, uh, uh, I told her and again, at this point, she's a complete stranger. If you nudge me, <laughs> if you if you tell me to go get it, <laughs> I'll go get it for us and we'll split it. But I need you to encourage me. So that was, <laughs> and so she said, yes, go for it. <laughs> and during the intermission, we said, hmm, what do you think if we tried to collect that bowstring? He's off the stage, everyone's gone. Should we try to touch that bowstring and get it? And she said yes, and she rolled up her uh, her program so it was long, and she scooped it up, and she gave me my half, and she took her half. <laughs> and of course, during intermission and afterwards, we felt very connected. And I'm the queen of metaphors and poetry, especially when it seems like sacred meaning is underneath all of this mystery of the human life. And I felt, wow, a string is and as we were talking, uh, they said, what do you do? And I said, oh, I do this for hospitals and stuff all over the country. And she said, really? A friend of ours was telling us how meaningful the art was at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Ohio. And I said, oh, yeah, I did the art in that lobby there, the crystal art in the lobby. And she said, really? Because... And we felt immediately that somehow the universe had connected us by these strings, these threads of, you know, part of the tapestry of life. And this is exactly what it's been like working with Christine Amri on this project. So she's, those were the first words, first words she said to me before she even knew me. She said, go, go get it. Um, she heard about Aquanauts photography and our passion. And uh, she also heard from us about Maya um, in that same introductory conversation. And her response to that was, I have this big space. Why don't we do something? Here, here it is. Let's do something. And, uh, and so here we are. So that was definitely a very, that was an important you know, seed that she planted. We got to speaking with her at the intermission uh, when we got the bowstring pieces and initially she very humbly introduced herself when we asked what she does as a carver well we didn't 
surmise until actually we got home that night and, and uh, we had exchanged information by the end of the show uh, and looked her up online and our jaws just dropped. Uh, she is sublimely talented. And here's the... <laughs> Here's the synchronicity that still gives me chills every time I describe it to somebody. So Maya went to get this, as part of a compassionate use program, she went to get this treatment starting about six months ago in Columbus, Ohio. At that point in time, is the only place in the country where uh, this was available. And so the James family, who lives in San Diego, were traveling every other week with Maya to get this treatment and there's a whole there's a whole nother set of synchronicities and stories of kindness from some of the folks at nationwide in columbus that are uh it's there's a whole nother podcast there about kindness and generosity uh anyway maya is getting this treatment at the nationwide children's hospital in columbus in the lobby of the nationwide children's hospital there's this radiant donor wall it's basically this really big panel with, uh, of glass with names of donors etched onto it, butterflies, a meadow. It's all just light and beauty and uh, radiates clarity and kindness. It's unmistakable if you're walking through that lobby. It so happens that Christina Omri is the one who made that. Mm. And it's incredible the way that that tied things together right off the bat between us and Christina Omri and Maya and also the folks at Nationwide who um, who even uh, knew through work. So discovering that and Christina so openly, so warmly, uh, without any hesitation at any point in this, opening her arms and her space to this, not only to uh, to receive that kind of energy, but because she actively wants to bring that energy to the world. And this is something she had to offer was this space and her energy about this. And uh, so it's been an amazing collaboration ever since. And so as this collaboration between strangers has led to a relationship of coincidences, of charity, and of elements of what some might refer to as mystic, the whole is becoming greater than the sum of its parts. You may be wondering, as I was, how the funds from this event are going to be of help to people with Batten's disease. The Batten Disease Support and Resource Association, BDSRA, hosts an annual family camp during the summer. This is a three-day event. It rotates between different cities. This summer it's in Pittsburgh. At this three-day event, the parents and the families have an opportunity to network with each other, uh, learn a lot about where things are at in terms of research, treatments, support that may be available, and basically have the support from people who know what they're going through uh, firsthand. At this family conference, there are also a lot of volunteers there to help uh, with the kids with Batten's disease and also their siblings who are unaffected by Batten's disease. And it's really nice for the kids with Batten disease to have people who are very attuned to their particular needs and be around kids who are dealing with some of the same things they are. There's a certain comfort there. And by virtue of the support that the volunteers offer, parents are actually freed up for a few hours here and there to actually uh, take a breath and be with other parents who are dealing with some of these things. And the other thing is, in many families, because of the needs of the kids who actually have Batten disease, some of the siblings who are 
unaffected, um, that word is a little bit of a misnomer. They are affected, just not in that direct way. Mm -hmm. And they often get short shrift in terms of the resources and attention that they ought to otherwise be, be getting. And so the family conference is also designed to have a lot of activities and sport available for them to just get to be, uh, to get to be themselves. Uh, and this family camp, this family conference, costs about a thousand dollars on average to get a family there and many of these families whose children's needs have become such that they are requiring constant care have challenges when it comes to maintaining jobs maintaining income uh, some of these families are a single mom with a child with battens and it's incredibly hard to make any ends meet, much less get any uh, support or get a break of any kind. And so one of our fundraising goals for the event is to help get as many families there for without any cost to them as we possibly can. And BDSRA is uh, helping us facilitate that, that happening. And everybody who's contributing to this event in any way, either monetarily or by publicizing it, or simply by caring and hearing the word batten for the first time and actually um, getting curious about it, all of that goes to helping this happen. And so we're very grateful for that. Yeah, I think um, community outreach was one element that wasn't really hit on but I think that that's really maybe even for the long term maybe the most important thing you guys are doing with this event um, you know funds are going to be really important but I think that you know I'm one person you're another person we've got you know and then and if my audience of probably five or ten listeners you know but uh, you know if we can get a, a, a you know a few hundred people or whatever to listen to this and they learn something about it um, I think that that's that's going to be the thing that, the, that I think you guys should applaud yourselves for, first of all, is just putting forth the effort, because I know how hard these events are to put on. And so um, so I'd like to know wh what we can expect that night, because I'm going to be there. Carly's <laughs> going to be there. Um, what, what can we be looking forward to? Thank you. Well, so Scott and I uh, like the date. We've been dating. <laughs> We've been dating for a long time. <laughs> And I really mean it. So we really, we, we love the experience of um, being in this beautiful city on a beautiful evening, sharing it with friends and really um, immersing ourselves in the experience of wonderful food and wine and good conversation and excellent music, something that we really also start to take for granted in Portland because it is so readily available. Mm -hmm. So we decided we're going to throw a major <laughs> double, triple date. <laughs> um, so, and and uh, invite all of our friends to, to come and join us. We will begin the event at 6 o'clock in the evening and we'll kick it off with some great music by Wood Ox, which is a phenomenal husband and wife duo. Uh, their music is um, just um, ethereal, spiritually charged, uh, passionate. And that is also, you know, what we want to invoke with this with this event we want um uh yeah so so them them starting us off will be will be fantastic uh there'll be uh, so they with their music will be immediately introducing the one of the senses mm -hmm. right so by listening you'll be participating in the in the exploration of the hearing sense by tasting excellent wine and other beverages that will be available immediately here we go with the mm -hmm. with the taste right and the, the taste sense so there'll be there'll be food there'll be wine there'll be beer uh it's portland after all mm -hmm. 
But then what we are also very, very proud and, and super happy about, because it does represent this uh, community involvement, is what we're referring to as the Six Senses Raffle. We will have six um, different categories of um, multiple items that will be raffled off, each representing a different sense. So we'll be raffling off um, uh, original artwork, uh, massage therapy, yoga sessions, music lessons, um, and some wonderful surprises. I don't want to give all of them away. And all of these are incredible in-kind donations by uh, different businesses and uh, experts uh, here in town, but also from other states. So very, very happy about that. We'll also conduct live auction, and uh, that will be focused on wine. And I'll also let Scott say a few words about that, because he is our live auction uh, master. Auctioneer. Auctioneer. And uh, uh, there will be um, several very important uh, keynote speakers. One of them will be Margie Fraser from BDSRA, who will really tell us the story of the association. But uh, primarily, she'll talk about the families and really represent all the Batten families at the event. She's coming from Columbus with a couple other teammates and uh, she's super excited to be here in this community because um, you know they've not really been connected to Oregon and this is their opportunity to uh, forge some new relationships with uh, clinicians here in Portland. Another important keynote speaker will be Raj Patra from Hot Yoga for Life studio, uh, a yoga scientist <laughs> and uh, um, he will speak about uh, hope and uh, we are incredibly excited to have him present because he will um, we know based on his background as a mathematician and a physicist uh, he will do uh, I think a really good job of reminding us of that interaction between art and science that is necessary um, if we are to do some incredible things like, you know, look for a cure for Batten disease. We also have something that's called a wishing tree, which is actually an opportunity for uh, a sense of touch in several different ways. There's the fact that it is a tactile, hands-on experience for everyone there, and also just that it is a way of uh, touching from the heart kids who are suffering for Batten and will actually be at this family conference in Pittsburgh. Um, this is sort of something that is going to actually kind of need to be seen. I can't do it justice, but suffice to say, there are a few incredibly talented people uh, creating this wishing tree that will convey messages of hope from people at this event directly to kids that are at the family conference, and they'll know they're cared about by a lot of strangers. Um, we're really excited about that. There is also the Armory Studio itself, which, uh, I, again, I... I reluctantly have to say also something that almost has to be seen and experienced to be ascertained, uh, to be grokked, to be believed. It's uh, uh, Christina Omri is unbelievably talented. What she does with some of the most basic elements of light and clarity, uh, it's incredibly moving. And this is a working studio and she is planning to have the studio space such that people are also getting to experience the beauty of what she brings into the world. Um, I'll say more about that in a moment because there's an incredible synchronicity there that sort of got this whole fundraiser started as well. Before I do, I also wanted to mention, though, that 
Another of the experiences of the night involves wine, and there are several of those. We will have Vicente Pina there of Von de Von, and he is first and foremost one of the most delightful people I've gotten to meet in the course of all this, even has known him for, for longer. Um, it is so enjoyable just to be in his presence and, and just talk to him. He also so happens to be an absolute expert on wine, and he's going to be there in several different capacities, including being the one that is actually uh, serving up wine and, and giving people the experience of what it's like to have an event where he is uh, facilitating it and talking about the wines. Wine is also going to be an experiential element because we will have what we're calling the mystery wine wall, where so many of our incredibly generous donors and volunteers who are already donating so much of their hours and talent and, and heart to this are also on top of that contributing bottles of wine that will then go into bags that people so people cannot actually see what wine they they are potentially getting and uh, for an additional donation people can have one of those bottles of wine Vicente will also be there on the spot essentially to tell them about the wine uh, so an added bonus then there's also, as part of the live auction, there are really two live auction items up for bid. One of them is a bottle of wine, and then another is the uh, experience with Vicente uh, for a, part, a group of about 10 or, or, or whatever is arranged. As far as the bottle of wine goes, um, this hits home for me personally. My father's generously donating a bottle of 1975 Dei Chem, which is a very rare, rare, rare bottle of wine, and it has significance to my parents and to me because it was my mom's uh, very favorite bottle of wine in the world, as well as my dad's. Um, I lost her about a year and a half ago, and Fundamentally, if there was one word anyone who knows her would use to describe her, it's kind. She would so love to have a presence at an event like this. She would be thrilled about coming to this fundraiser, being part of this. And this is the way that my dad readily came up with to uh, bring her presence to the event. And so that special bottle of wine is up for auction as well. Um, my experience as an auctioneer is limited to, uh, well, nothing. Um, <laughs> and so one of the talents that many of us in this event are expanding our horizons, this is, this is one of mine. So Scott's mom was um, the kind of person who would um, contribute without letting anybody know that she did to important causes. She would make a donation, she would write a check, she would pick up a gift, she would give generously and never asked for any recognition and um, really where that comes from is just this unconditional love for the world and unconditional um, love for uh, for humanity what I'm experiencing um, with the involvement in this in this initiative and fighting for Maya BDSRA everything matters is this sense of responsibility to pick up that torch and um, to continue to do that kind of work in the world and this is about passion we're clearly passionate about this it's also about purpose uh, there is um, to carry further the 
uh, metaphor of fire, this is also about lighting additional torches and lighting matches maybe. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, not big bonfires, but lighting a match that can start, you know, bigger fires. Because as um, Suzette James likes to say, this is doable. This is something we can do. We can do it after hours, uh, during work hours, before, <laughs> before the day begins, um, treatment for these kids is possible. And um, to also quote Suzette, you know, the world needs more Maya, more Mayas. And uh, again, because this is doable, let's do it. I've always been um, less impressed with people who feel like that they have a purpose that's been given to them than I am by people who um, nurture a purpose and actually create the purpose. And it sounds like what you guys have done just through obviously good parents, um, uh, making two wonderful people, you guys have had the ability and the seed to be able to grow this kindness into something great and actually create your purpose. I've known Scott, uh, I think we're trying to figure out today, you know, it's been a good 25 years. Uh, you know, we, we started college together. Um, he was my neighbor in the dorms back in the day. Um, and, you know, as Suzette's come into my life and as Ivana has come into his life, we've just been, you know, the closest of friends throughout. Um, and Scott and Ivana have known Maya well. You know, they've been with us throughout this journey. Uh, you know, they were one of the first families that we shared, you know, what was going on. Um, and I think, you know, really the catalyst was, you know, when we took that, so it was our second trip out to Columbus after we received the call. Uh, Maya had a really important appointment where she had to do some things just to kind of finalize her admission into the program. And she did phenomenal. And so we went out to dinner um, and even I happened to be in town uh, for that visit. Um, for that, for that, you know, that a successful visit in Columbus, um, and I think that visit really set the ball in motion for Ivana to say, you know, I, I want to do more, um, and you know, this this fundraiser, this event is really, you know, the culmination of just some of our closest friends who have said, hey, we we know Maya, we know the James family, and we want to do something to help. Um, and what I think makes us most excited about this event is the focus is really on the broader Batons community um, to really support those families that don't always have a voice, um, don't always have the ability to um, say, hey, I need help, um, or I'm out here, or I'm alone dealing with this. Um, one of the most heart-wrenching i mean that so much of this is heart-wrenching in itself but there are a lot of families that are being led by single moms um and they're helping their children through this um and they don't have the voice you know that 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 we have you know they don't have the opportunity that we have because you know they're just they're they're on their own you know they're they're in middle america where they're somewhere else and so i think even and scott have seized this opportunity to say hey we want to help the entire Batons community. Um, one, we live in this great community of Portland, very compassionate people, and we want to share what's going on, and we want to help more people. Um, we want to help people so that they can go to the conference. 
um, and be with other families and learn more from other families and really understand that they're not alone. Um, that's, I think that's the importance of this event. Um, and those are the people, I mean, those are the families that I think I'm most helpful will benefit from this event. And this is where we come to the end of this episode of the podcast. My hope is that you've learned a little bit about Batten disease and this small yet dedicated group of people who are working so diligently to help fight this unfortunate disease that affects so few, but in such horrific ways, ways in which I could never imagine. Thank you to Bo and Suzette for sharing their story, to Margie for sharing her knowledge, to Christina for sharing her space, to Scott and Ivana for sharing their energy, to Carly for bringing us all together, and to everybody for sharing your selfless spirit. Please be sure and check out Aquanuts Photography for more information about the Everything Matters event that is going to be held at Omri Studios, located at 1826 Northwest 18th Avenue here in Portland, Oregon, on June 3rd. We'd love to see you that night, but also please go to BDSRA to see how you can help beyond this event that sounds like it's going to be an evening that will not soon be forgotten for those in attendance. And for the optimistic spin segment of the show, I'm going to leave you with this. For a child who at one point in her young life had uh, completely healthy uh, speech, neuromotor development, everything like that, she does know what it is like to be able to move fluidly and express herself. And um, to have those abilities feel as though they're slowly fading, uh, and yet also to have this hopefulness that there's something that really does seem to be effective in slowing the progression. It's uh, topsy-turvy. It's hard to know how any of us would deal with that. How a young child is dealing with that is, and still smiling all the way through it. <laughs> uh, not all the time, of course, but uh, the smile, her spirit is uh, uh, incredibly intact, and it's a, it touches everybody who comes into contact with it.